0: Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is my co-host, attorney and Republican strategist, Jay Carson. We start with our best wishes for Senator John McCain, who this week was found to have a particularly aggressive form of brain cancer. It's actually the same type of cancer that killed Senator Ted Kennedy, uh, coincidentally, also around the time of a major health care vote in the Senate. In, In that case, it was the passage of Obamacare in 2009. And as I mentioned in the Friday preview newsletter, John McCain is actually the only politician whose campaign I've contributed to. That was uh, back in 2000 when he tried to ride that straight talk express to the Republican nomination, um, back when I was still, I guess, nominally a Republican. And of course, unfortunately, he lost out to George W. Bush, who I would argue is probably the worst president of my lifetime and maybe one of the worst of all time. That's another story. But anyway. John McCain was, I think, the last politician I felt a real sort of passion for. And while my view of him has changed a bit since then, uh, his his courage, his tenacity, you know, his, his fighting spirit, I think they'll always be an inspiration to me. And I certainly hope that he uh, fights back against this. I know he's a fighter and uh, he uh, recovers as much as one can from something as awful as this. Jay, um, your thoughts on Senator McCain?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you um, as a Republican, of course, I've I've obviously had my frustrations with with Senator McCain uh, on on a lot of issues, um, uh, but he is undoubtedly uh, an American hero, uh, and and someone who uh, is is someone the kind of person that uh, we would want to elect to the Senate, whether we agree with him all the time or not. As uh, as far as his the commitment he's demonstrated to this country uh, goes above and beyond probably anybody else in the uh, the capital. Um, I had the uh, had the opportunity to meet and speak with John McCain one time, probably twenty five some years ago, uh, when I was an intern at uh, an organization hosting a big benefit dinner. He was one of the people there, uh, so I uh, I was I had a conversation which consisted of. Uh, I think they're ready to serve dinner now, sir. Uh, to which he responded, thanks. Um, so <laughs> again, brushes with greatness, but, uh, again, it's, it's, I tell that story just because it's, it's cool to be able to say, look, I was in the presence of, of one of these, uh, these people who is, um, again, truly an American hero and, uh, we wish him all the best. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. Moving on the, uh, confusing journey, I think you could call it, of the Senate health care bill, or really rather bills. There are now at least four major proposals out there by my count. Well, that that continued on this week. Now, what we know now, or at least what I think we're fairly certain of, is that there aren't 50 votes for any of the proposals, but Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says there will be a vote next week. Now, it's not likely he expects to pass anything, at, at least not next week, but a vote will force Republicans to own their refusal to repeal Obamacare. And and if there's a strategy here, and with McConnell, I th- I'd say it's a good bet that there is, it's what I'd call the long shot hope that a no vote on repeal will put enough heat on moderate Republicans, especially those who voted yes on the repeal bill in 2015 when Barack Obama was president and would, they knew would veto it. That they'll be willing to reconsider and maybe, if not vote for any of the current proposals, at least find a way to vote for something close. Now, where President Trump stands on all this, well, I don't think even he knows, except he's sure nothing is his fault. And it might be good to let Obamacare fail, as he said, to bring Democrats to the table, which to me is either remarkably ignorant or remarkably callous, even for Trump. So that's sort of my take on it, Jay. What are your thoughts on where we are now and what might happen going forward?
1: Well, I think the the McConnell uh, plan to to move for a vote is is fascinating in that uh, this is something you don't see that often. Uh, it, it's pretty rare that you see something put up for a no vote, and especially it's it's something that is uh, uh, you know putting some of his his party perhaps at at risk, perhaps not. Um, uh, but I, I understand the, the thinking, uh, the senators who, uh, live in red states, uh, predominantly red states will be able to say, look, we did our best. Uh, there was a bill and we voted for it, uh, and we didn't have the numbers, uh, and you can blame that on these couple defectors who in states that their defection, uh, may help them, uh, my sense is it does not. Uh, but, um. Uh, i I think that's uh that that would be the the strategy now um whether there's there's something else down the road the next step people are saying well let's move forward with tax reform uh the idea being that tax reform is more it would would be easier uh more popular uh I'm not so sure that's that's the case uh but I think that's sort of where the, the default position uh at this point uh trump's um attitude towards, towards this has been, uh, troubling. And, and, you know, we can, you know, you and I can get into who's, who's to blame. I actually put more blame on, uh, Senate Republicans than I do on Trump for this uh, thing falling apart. Uh, that said Trump is is sort of an accomplice uh, in that, uh, here was an opportunity to exercise presidential leadership and, and he really didn't. Um, other than, you know, saying some goofy stuff, um, uh, about okay, well, let's let it fail, which, which raises some other funny questions. Um, and oh, I'm telling you, you have to stay here to, till it's fixed, uh, which he, you know, really doesn't have the authority to, to command. But.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, a, a couple of things before we get into the Trump comments on Obamacare failing and so forth, which I want to address at least a little bit. You know, I, I also wanted to talk about Mitch McConnell. I've been thinking about Mitch McConnell a lot. I, I might have more to say to him in our our, our uh, mini show, bonus show thing. But for now, I want to say, you know, Mitch McConnell has this reputation of being a, sort of a legislative mastermind. And while I'll admit While I'm fairly certain that he is a very uh, sharp student of uh, Senate history, Senate rules and procedures, knows those very well, the fact of the matter is, is up until a couple of years ago, he's never had the opportunity to really try to lead a majority in the Senate with the president where he could actually make something happen. So all we really know about Mitch McConnell in terms of his ability to get things done is what we've seen in, you know, really in the last, Couple of years, and what we've seen is uh, essentially nothing. And so, I think his reputation might be a, a little bit, certainly at this point, undeserved. Mitch McConnell's not responsible for anything truly uh, important or historic happening. And as as far as I can see now, certainly he's been dealt a bad hand. But he's no uh, he's no LBJ.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Although I would I would take less. Um I don't know. I would. I don't want to blame this as much on on McConnell as I I guess I would on the the party in general. Uh, also the uh, there was there was a piece by oh, I think it was either Kimberly Strassel or uh, Bill McGurn in the the Wall Street Journal about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the problem is Republicans are just not team players, and uh, uh, I I understand fully the idea of you want to stand on principle. Uh, some folks like your Rand Pauls. Who will will always be that way, and others who are are perhaps more finger in the wind, uh, moderate. Um, but but regardless, you you've got to be able to to play as a team, uh, and and the Republican Party quite typically has not uh, in legislative in the legislative world. And this is I think uh, I think would be something fascinating to to for you to look at as a, a scholarly in pursuit of, of how often do Republicans hang together versus Democrats. My, my again, yeah, my sense is that uh, Republicans have much harder times holding uh, majorities than, than what Democrats do for uh, what may be a bunch of reasons. But um, there should, there should have been, there should have been a plan A uh, and a plan B and a plan C that, that had been sort of conceived and uh, sold over the last couple of years. And, you know, we just, we just didn't have that. I think yeah. that's the big, the biggest failure.
0: Yeah. I, one thing I wanted to mention at, Completely uh, slipped my mind, but when I say that McConnell's no LBJ, and some people may be saying, "Well, sure, Johnson was a president and so forth." Johnson right. was for for listeners I mean, the who don't know the exactly uh, one of the one of the most uh, impressive, many people would say, majority leaders uh, in in the history of the Senate, and he's also just a, a fascinating individual. Uh, Robert Carl has a series of four right at this point uh, uh, books in in a in a biography and a very extended biography of Johnson that are some of the some of the most fascinating reading. Uh, that I've had the, the pleasure of of consuming. I'd highly recommend them. But, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of President Trump's role, I think one thing that I feel confident about is that it's really difficult to get big things done without strong leadership from the president. And and we just haven't seen this now with his, you know, we, we've or, already, I
1: would, I would even say with, with you know, lukewarmish sort of yeah. <laughs> support from the president.
0: Well, you can't also, you can't lead if you don't know what you're doing. You can't lead if you don't understand the issue. And, well, you know, and you know, I joked about president Trump, you know, saying that nothing's his fault and, you know, so for, I mean, Trump wants a win. He clearly is very interested in pushing away everything that has any kind of, you know, scent of, uh, of Barack Obama, you know, or, or or, but, but aside from that, he just, you know, like the thing about letting Obamacare fail, I don't think he understands what that means exactly, but I do know that there are a number of people in in the administration who have at least a pretty good idea of how they could do that, for instance, they could not enforce the individual mandate part of the law, which uh, the administration has given some kind of initial suggestions that they might Do that, um, which to me raises the question of, gee, doesn't the president have a duty to faithfully execute the laws? I seem to recall a lot of conservatives worked up about that. Yeah, well, no,
1: but I would, I would interject on that. I I don't know that the enforcement mechanism, regardless, even if you wanted to enforce it really strenuously, is is all that great or all that robust. Sure, Uh, that's fair.
0: But you know, you can you can you can push harder or, or or less hard on that. But it just reminded me of how many conservatives got so worked up when they argued that Obama wasn't faithfully executing the law when it came to immigration. Uh, But I'm not hearing that about Trump and Obamacare. But, But anyway, so that's one thing they could do to make it fail. A second thing that it seems like they're doing is they're not going to do much to publicize or promote the exchange sign-up period, and that's been shown in a number of studies to increase enrollment among healthier people, and they're really important to get in the exchanges because, of course, the enrollment for healthier people helps to subsidize the enrollment for less healthy people.
1: And if you don't get the healthy... People in there, you get the so-called death spiral. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then
1: I just really like saying death spiral. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm sure you do.
1: Uh, can I, we can we add like like a echo effect and like deep booming voice thing? Yeah, I'll get right on, on, that, on that, Jay.
0: <laughs> but you know, and the final thing is, they could stop payments uh, to exchange insurers to defray those costs of covering the poorest and sickest folks. Now that's mandated under the law but Congress never appropriated the funds for that. And so while it's still working its way through the court system, President Obama's administration funded it, Trump has funded it too, but on a kind of a month-to-month sort of basis, on a short-term basis, and it's kind of dangling it over the, the heads of the insurers. and And right now, this is this period where insurers are putting in their rate requests. And of course, there's a lot of differentiation state by state. These these proposals vary a lot, but the average is around 33% and various analysis peg about 20% of that due to Uncertainty created by the Trump administration in Congress. So a lot of the the problems with the exchanges are just that insurers, understandably, say, "Well, geez, what what's going to happen? We need to prepare for the worst here." And so that's why this increase proposal is so high. And so certainly. The, the failure of the exchanges could become a self that's so much a self-fulfilling prophecy, but the but the Trump administration could do an awful lot to make that happen. And it seems like they are. And I think that's really tragic because you know, there's going to be a, a real human cost to that.
1: Well, I would I would uh, point out, though, I mean, Trump one time kind of rattled his, uh, his sword over uh, maybe cutting the, the subsidies, but decided not to. And I, I don't think there's, I, I really don't think uh, he would do that. Um, not so much because he doesn't want to, wouldn't want to see uh, uh, Obamacare fail, but uh, there would be the sense of, hey, here are some insurance companies who would be very angry. And, and I mean, it's, and I think that's something he gets,
0: yeah. <laughs> if well, you know what you I know, mean. Yeah. And I think um, maybe you're if, right. If I do
1: this, uh, private businesses will fail. Uh, or or we'll lose a lot of money. We'll lose so much money they'll be they'll be forced out. Uh, so I don't think he'll do that. But th- there is still a worry that that uh, the courts might. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, so. I, well, I think though, I think you might have a point there. But I also think that Trump has shown no understanding of the importance of instilling confidence. And, you know, I think, my God, who, would he be the worst Fed chairman of all time? You know, that kind of, <laughs> he just has no idea. The whole idea of strong and steady, stable leadership, that's, you know, he's Captain Chaos. And this is just not a very. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can make this, you know,
1: statement sort of broadly, uh, businesses operate on predictability. Uh, and, and that's particularly true in something like uh, the insurance business, uh, particularly true to, to in, in highly regulated uh, businesses, um, is that they need to be able to rely on uh, the playing field is going to be more or less the same tomorrow as it is today. Um, and, and these sort of noises um, uh, that, that Trump makes kind of on and off here and there. Uh, aren't helpful now. I, I think there also might be you might get to a point where the industry sort of discounts a lot of what he says. Um, in that look, he's not going to really do that because he doesn't really do anything. He just sort of he just sort of says stuff. Um, but uh, there there are other things I, I would say he could do uh, in the absence of of a repeal and replace bill that he's sort of moved forward with a little bit, uh, and that is some regulatory loosening that uh, would help. Revive the, uh, or help make it easier for uh, insurers who sell sell plans to, uh, employers and maybe get more people covered that way. Uh, that's going to be sort of an around the edges thing. It's not going to change anything, fundamentally. Uh, but I think that's something uh, his his administration could do, just in terms of uh, releasing some of these regulatory burdens that were put on uh, through the regulatory process.
0: You know, before we move on, we want to thank our first sponsor today, Dollar Shave Club, the smarter choice. Get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door with Dollar Shave Club. You know, it's summer. You probably know that it's hot out there. It's hot in Cincinnati. I bet it's hot in Cleveland. Jay, is it hot in Cleveland?
1: It is. It, it is, is hot, hot in Cleveland.
0: Cleveland. Um, Cleveland. You know, it's summer is quite possibly, right? The best time of the year to shave off all that heat-trapping, sweaty hair. And, you know, you could stop with your face but hey, maybe it's time to try something really radical. You might look amazing with a shaved head or, or I don't know, think how streamlined you'd be if you just went all out. Shave it all off. I mean, if not now, when? And whether you're planning to shave your face or do, you know, like a full Monty shave thing, I can't think of any better tools for the job than what you'll get for Dollar Shave Club. Uh, Jay, I don't know if I've convinced you to do the kind of Joel uh, uh, Brenner, Jason Statham, Vin Diesel thing, but y- you like Dollar Shave Club too, right?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if I'll go that far, but I will tell you on my vacation last week, I I grew a beard uh, just because I was just sitting on the beach, uh, kind of doing nothing, uh, and could get away with it, but. um uh, it, it did, uh, I did have to go back to work and look respectable once more. And, uh, I, I can tell you the the dollar shave club razor, uh, sort of wiped out the beard with, with just a couple, a uh, couple strokes. I was impressed. And usually when, if you're shaving like a, a lot, I mean, that can be kind of painful and uh, not an easy process, but it was uh, super smooth. And I, I came back looking my, uh, my conservative, uh, best.
0: That's very important, certainly for a conservative like you. You don't want to look like some kind of hairy hippie. Now, and for a limited time, new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of their excellent Dr. Carver shave butter for only $5 with free shipping and after that your razors are just a few bucks a month it's a $15 value for only 5 bucks and in that first month's box you'll get this great weighty handle a full cassette that has four cartridges and a tube of the shave butter and after that first month replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price no hidden fees no commitments cancel anytime you like but you're not going to want to cancel trust me you can only get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com/tpg that's dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. Okay, so back to healthcare, Jay. So let, let me get your let me get your prediction. Will this Congress pass a significant overhaul of Obamacare? What's your what's your best guess on that?
1: uh i have to say no at this point
0: yeah that's kind of that's kind of my thinking i just don't see how they with those factions in the republican party i just don't see how it happens and you know some people say well the democrats will come to the table and so forth i will i will believe that when i see it
1: yeah no i i don't i think th- there has been i've seen some of this pollyannish um uh you know sort of kumbaya can't we all uh, get together and, and so forth uh and i would i would agree It's it's that's not the case. It's not going to happen um for for a lot of reasons. there's no There's no really advantage yet um, for Democrats to try to, to sign on to this uh, any type of reform. now as as, you know, Obamacare continues to unravel, uh, which I believe it will, With um, Trumps help, although there there were some Democrats that that yourself included said, oh, things are looking better now." Um, but let's, uh, you know, I think that that blame will fall largely on Republicans uh, if they can make the point of this was, uh, you know, President Obama's idea in the first place. We tried to get rid of it. Maybe that buys them some time. Uh, maybe you're able to pull a couple Democrats over. But the the climate uh, that we have right now, uh, which is a, a polarized Congress, and look, a polarized America on, on this issue. Um, And lack of any sort of leadership from the president, Uh, I I don't see uh, any sort of bipartisan solution, at least in the the near term, at least not till after the, the next, after the midterm elections.
0: Agreed. You know, before we move on, we'd like to welcome our newest Politics Guys insiders, Doug, Forrest, and Kelly, all of whom became Politics Guys benefactors, which means that in addition to helping support the show, they'll be getting access to the Insiders blog with our commentary on politics and policy during the week, plus a weekly Politics Guys update post with the inside scoop on the show, upcoming guests, and exclusive what we're reading content. And if you're interested in joining Doug Forrest and Kelly and getting exclusive Insiders content and update, you can learn more and sign up by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com politicsguys or by clicking on the Patreon link at politicsguys.com. All right, so our, you know, Sean Spicer, uh, while, uh, Sean Spicer's free now, right? I mean, that's a great thing for him because late this week there was that big news about the major shakeup in Trump, the Trump communications operation. Uh, we'll start at the top for that post of communications director, which has been vacant since May, believe it or not. Uh, geez, you can hardly tell. Uh, the president has chosen financier Anthony Scaramucci because obviously what President Trump really needs to right the ship is one more ultra rich white guy. I'm sure it's going to fix it all up. Uh, but that move led to the resignation of Press Secretary Sean Spicer, who I think it surprised a lot of people and how sudden it is. Though Spicer said he's going to stay on a little bit to help with the transition, his post is going to be filled by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Until now, she was Spicer's chief chief deputy. So Jay, with Trump's job approval at under forty percent and trending down, amazingly, um, combined with not a single piece of major legislation passed in six months. Is this just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, or do you think this could be a positive move for the president?
1: Well, I, I I've gotta think um it, it couldn't it it can't get worse. I think it, it's a move <laughs> that you have to make. Plainly, uh the communications were not what uh the the administration wanted. Uh or or let me put it this way. It, they it, it wasn't effective. Maybe it was what they wanted, but it wasn't effective. Um and I, I think you know, Sean Spicer had an an absolutely impossible job. Uh, that's not an easy job even under the best of circumstances. Um, and, and he was sort of a, you know, Sean, Sean Spicer, I think it's been pointed out by, by some media outlets, uh, was more of a, um, uh, mainstream, um, uh, kind of, kind of guy more of, um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, but he was, he was sort of brought in by, by Ryan's Priebus, uh, and, and not a, a, a I Trump see guy. You. No, yeah, um, not a Trump, one kind of so Republican more, establishment. More of an establishment sort yeah, of yeah. figure. Definitely. Uh, and I think he, he, there was just a, a really mixed way to, that, that he tried to do that. <laughs> he tried to sort of adopt the Trump persona in the beginning of being very combative and it just didn't work for him. Um, uh, uh, maybe it would work for others, but, but regardless, I, you know, look, I, I don't blame Sean Spicer for, for, uh, for the failure to communicate. Uh, I, I think he, again, he was tasked with an impossible job and I think he did the right thing. Uh, and I think history will vindicate him in this, in stepping aside and <laughs> saying, okay, you now, uh, have a clean slate, um, uh, to work with, which is another way to say, uh, look, if this all tanks, it's not on me anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I uh you know, I, I think it you're right, an impossible job. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially when you talk about the Trump persona, the, the Trump approach, which it seems to me to be a lie like hell. And when you're called on it, double down, um, so that's not really necessarily a Republican establishment sort of approach to these sort of things. They tend to be a little more subtle than that, but, but, but yeah, so I, I don't, I think it couldn't, I don't know if it's going to hurt a whole lot, although Scaramucci is not like he has any kind of experience with this. I think that Trump is just maybe turning more and more to the sort of people he's felt comfortable with his whole life. But if he thinks that that's going to save him, I think he is sorely mistaken. You know, before we kind of move on with that, I want to thank our second response, our second sponsor. No, how about sponsor? Yeah, this week. Okay. Yeah. More coffee, Mike. Uh, Zip recruiter. You know, good help. Good help is hard to find. Of course it is. Why? Because the majority of people can't be above average. You know, Jay, it's basic math, right? You know, an interesting factoid here, at least for me. In a survey a while back of college professors, around ninety percent said that they were above average teachers. I kid you not. Now, of course, I'm way above average, right? Uh, but but well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's that's it, self evident. It's hard to believe that so many of my colleagues are so deluded. Uh, anyway, the fact is that that there are so many average and below average people out there. It means that you've got a problem if you're looking for high quality help, especially. If you're running a small business, you know, those Fortune 500 type resources at your disposal, which is where ZipRecruiter comes in. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. And that's why they're different, because unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. There's no juggling emails, calls to your office. You just screen, rate, manage candidates all in one place with their easy-to-use dashboard. Now, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free just go to ziprecruiter.com slash politics guy, not politics guys, just politics guy as in you're a politics guy who's going to get a great person for your job opening. So ziprecruiter.com slash politics guy. And once more, because three times is the charm to try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash politics guy. All right, moving on to our next story, Jeff Sessions. Boy, it's been a rough week for attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Um, First, in an interview with The New York Times, President Trump expressed his um, strong disagreement, I'll call it, with Sessions' decisions to recruit, to recuse himself from the Russia investigation, saying that had he known Sessions would do so, he would have picked someone else for the job. Then, late in the week, came allegations that Sessions lied in his confirmation hearings when he said that he didn't discuss any campaign or policy issues with Russian officials or surrogates during the campaign. However, Unlike the case of former National Security Adviser Mike Flynn, there's no independent proof of any discussions. Only the word of then Russian Ambassador to the U.S. Uh, Sergey Kislyak. So, Jay, what do you make of all this? Are our Sessions' days as Attorney General numbered? Should they be? Uh, I, well, I would say I certainly hope not, um,
1: uh, for for the reason that uh, <clears throat> at, at this point I would I would say, and whether he realizes or not. Uh, Donald Trump needs, uh, Jeff Sessions more than, uh, Sessions needs Trump. Um, uh, if, if, uh, if Sessions were to be let go, um, uh, I think he would, his, his estimation in, in your eyes and probably a lot of others on the left would, would immediately, uh, um, uh, uh, skyrocket. Um, <clears throat> and look, I understand you've got, uh, some policy differences with him. Um, as, as do I, uh. But there is still the sense that Jeff Sessions is one of the grownups in the room, uh, and he did the grownup thing by, um, by uh, recusing himself on that investigation, um, even though I, I don't know that he, he probably had to, uh, but I think it was the right thing to do for the uh, avoid any uh, appearance of impropriety. Uh, and then the other funny thing, that of course, is that, that Trump says if he knew he was going to do that, he wouldn't have hired him. Well, obviously Sessions didn't know that he would be called upon to do something like that. Um, And that's, that's just the, uh, again, it's, it's very, and and look, this isn't even just a presidential thing or some sort of insider politics that piece that, you know, I've gained from working in the system or this, this is just common sense is you don't, you don't uh, diss your team uh, publicly. Uh, it's just, it's just not cool. It's, it's uh, a classless thing to do. Um, and I, I just don't understand why Donald Trump keeps doing things like this. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, again, he, there are, there are a million things he could have said about Sessions recusal. First of all, not really discussed it at all. Uh, secondly saying uh, I would respectfully disagree with his decision but I understand you know he did what he felt he had to do or uh, again there're there you know throw a thousand variations on that uh, but the indication that I wouldn't have hired him before you know or, or he might be let go I mean that's um, again it's, it's just not helpful uh, and and as as we I think we'll all mention in uh, the bonus show or or, or some other time um, I think we've a lot of conservatives, uh, Republicans have have just kind of reached a turning point uh, with with Trump, Um, and and this would just be another example. So
0: yeah, I think as for as for why he does it, I think it's the same sort of reason as for why uh, you know uh, President Clinton, uh, uh, you know, a very intelligent, uh, sharp guy who you know understood politics certainly a lot better than than President Trump. Why he couldn't stop cheating on his wife and you know keep the,
1: away from the interns you know yeah. it
0: it's just a, a fundamental personality flaw you no know, clinton had his uh trump has his and in both cases they you know they really detracted for what from what these people uh thought they or wanted to do and i point out the clinton thing because of course this is you know this is a bi a bipartisan sort of thing it's not like personality flaws are are uh, concentrated on the on the conservative side or anything like that um I will say uh, for for the session's thing, I agree with you uh, in that you're right that I would be enormously happy if he weren't attorney general, because I think (laughs) for policies just uh, got disastrously bad. But I also I also am skeptical of this latest sort of allegation thing you know so this is kind yeah. of a he said he said thing and uh, if if you're asking me do i trust jeff sessions or do i trust sergei kisliak well i i think i'm going to choose jeff sessions over there without any additional information you know, and so I, yeah, this seems, this seems a bit, a bit sketchy. I really liked the uh, Justice Department spokesperson's uh, comment on this. Uh, she said, obviously I cannot comment on the reliability of what anonymous sources describe in a wholly uncorroborated intelligence intercept that the Washington Post has not seen and has not been provided to me. And I thought, well, there you yeah. go. No, that That is, I'll
1: tell you, that is, I thought, I thought exactly the same thing. Um, that is fantastic. That is like the appropriate punch back, uh, landing a, a punch at the media, uh, that actually, yeah, makes sessions. Uh, I mean, and that, that's, that's the sessions win and it's so much better than the fake news, just yelling. fake Great news. point.
0: That's a great point. I absolutely agree with you on that, you know, so, uh, so sure people can speculate. It's a big juicy story and so forth, but to me, this is exactly the sort of thing that, you know, and I, I, I'm guilty of doing that sometimes I Think, well, what what do I think went on and what kind of weird theory can I weave? But, but, you know, this isn't an episode of, uh, of, of Homeland or something like this. This is real life. And I don't, I don't want to get past what we kind of know for sure. And so I'm going to leave it at that. If that's okay with you, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well then moving on this week, marked the initial meeting of president Trump's Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity, or as I like to call it, the guys President Trump assembled to show that he beat Hillary in the popular vote too. Uh, that might not catch on. Anyway, the commission is definitely weighted toward people who believe that vote fraud is a major issue, despite almost unanimous scholarly evidence to the contrary, as well as the dissenting views of the vast majority of secretaries of state across the country and that secretaries of state of both parties. The commission is already the subject of seven lawsuits challenging its composition, the openness of its meetings, and other related concerns. Now, Democrats are particularly worried that the committee is the first step toward some sort of national vote integrity law that's far more concerned with making it harder for Democrats to vote than it is with the integrity of the system. So, Jay, what do you expect to see from the commission? um I expect
1: that they will uh, first of all I I think I think you're probably painting it with a I don't know uh darker uh more ominous brush than, than need be um I, I again I've, I've been on the record before and I'll go on the record yet again as uh Secretary of State uh, John Houston in Ohio has been on the record as uh I can point you to links showing that there there are vote fraud does happen. Um, I think there were 80, 80, some documented cases in Ohio. Uh, there has been—I'm um, oh, trying to think of the organization that tracks this—but they track convictions, and it's you know somehow, nine, somehow about, about close to a thousand uh, nationwide uh, from the last election. Um, so yes, vote fraud does happen, um, but I think it happens on on the margins. Uh, it is not the wholesale, as as Trump suggested, millions of votes uh, in Virginia that were cast illegally. Uh, it is it is you know tens, hundreds uh, that are cast illegally. Now, to me, that still is, is a tremendous problem. And and I, I would put it to people on the left who, if you don't think it's a, it's a problem, uh, imagine if if the story were reversed of here are our ex, you know 50 people. Who were legitimately registered to vote, able to vote, allowed to vote, uh, but but turned away at the polls, Uh, because the effect is the same: Uh, people are disenfranchised uh, if somebody else gets to vote twice or three times or 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 ten times. So, so I I think there's going to be be that there there are going you are going to find vote fraud. There will be a recommendations at some point that will come out probably years from now um, uh, about steps that could be taken and. Uh, I think a lot of states have already taken those steps. Some have, some haven't, uh, and it'll up to be, be up to state legislatures. I, I don't see any um, national voting procedure act because, first of all, I don't think um, uh, it would be constitutional. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of deciding what happens in a, a state's electoral processes. Um,
0: well, you but could, I don't know. I could, to, to, I could be wrong. I mean I' I'm, getting, that's, I'm sure. getting way, way way ahead of myself. Sure. Um, to get around the constitutionality it, issue, you could always just link it to a nice little pot of state funds for for supporting that sort of thing. So I mean, there are sure. no ways around that. but but, you know, I think um, I agree with you, obviously, in that it happens, it's not non-existent. I agree with you in that it happens at the margins. I would challenge the uh, the numbers that that you said. I believe it's a lot less than that. Uh, I think what people tend to focus on, who try to promote this as a big issue, are dual registrations. But there's a big difference between being registered in two places and voting in two places. And also, I point what, out what
1: I'm yeah. What I'm talking about, to be clear, is are actual convictions for actual. Double voting, not just double registration.
0: I'm I'm pretty sure. Now I'll I'll try to find some some data on this, but I'm okay. pretty sure it's a lot less than what you say. But in, in any case, uh, all the studies that have looked at this invariably find that the specific type of vote fraud that all these Republican laws are designed to prevent, which is essentially misrepresentation at the ballot box, showing up, you know, with fake eye. or fake idea or no right. idea or, or no no idea right. Right. that's the kind of vote fraud that is almost non-existent. That's far, far less common than than other types of fraud. And so it just to me, it, it's pretty clear what's going on. I, I we've talked about this before, you know, um when 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 Chris when Chris Kovach, you know comes out and says he's the, the vice chairman of the panel when, you know, asked if he, if he believes that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three to five million votes because of vote fraud, he says we'll probably never know the answer to that question. And I think, you know, this is this is uh, pretty clearly a committee that's made up its mind. And I think there's very good reason to believe it's going to cherry pick data uh, to come up with conclusions that Donald Trump wants. So.
1: Okay, as as long as you're on the record saying there are government commissions that will cherry pick data, oh, absolutely, uh, I'm 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 uh, I will call that a victory. Um, it, you what what I would point out, and this is my my pitch always on on things like voter ID laws, is the the problem so much with the data is if you're not prohibiting it, then you're not measuring it. Uh, if there is if there are two bars in town, and well, maybe this is you know going back going back years years ago. Um, but say you're in a, a college town. There's two bars. One uh, is very uh, 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 judicious in terms of, of how they card people, uh, uh, and the other uh, is not. Um, now you might go to the the, the bar that says uh, that doesn't card people and say, "Any underage any underage drinking going on here?" And they would properly respond, "No, there is absolutely no evidence that anyone is underage here." Um, so that, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing is, is look, if, if you're not keeping track, uh, not prohibiting it, there's, there's no way to, to tell that it's happening. Now, look, I'm, I'm, still, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still saying, I think that that activity is, is marginal. It's not millions of votes. It's probably tens, tens of votes, hundreds of votes. Um, but it's still, if we're going to defend the integrity of uh, the ballot, then, uh, then we need to do that.
0: Well, you know, I, and I certainly agree that we should defend the integrity of the ballot. And in fact, state's, do band together to do this there are two main programs one and this is the one in Kansas that, that that's run actually by Kansas is called crosscheck and it's it's I think there were 30 st- 38 states involved in in crosscheck and it's a way where they they uh, you know uh, share information on registrations and various other things so they can try to match People to make sure that there aren't double registrations. Uh, the problem with cross check is it's a very uh, it relies on a very limited set of information. There's actually a lot better program out there that 21 states use called Eric, the Electronic Registration Information Center, that has a much looks through a much fuller database of things and has a lot fewer false positives. But uh, Kovach isn't interested in pushing Eric, even though it's better. He's interested in pushing ca- cross check, which also has much more stringent guidelines guidelines or recommendations for booting people if they're wiping registrations, if they're dual registered, whereas ERIC is, I think, by far a much better program. But that one doesn't have nearly as much traction among conservatives because I think it doesn't give you as many false positives. So I'm all in favor of setting up a, a system where the states work together to make sure that people are only registered in one place and people can't, even if they wanted to, vote in more than one place, but we need to do this in a way that, that makes sense and doesn't, doesn't unintentionally disenfranchise anyone. Yeah. So well, let me, let
1: me just tell you one, one quick story. Cause I know we're in a little late, like, two quick stories. Uh, the first is there was a time in my life where I was double registered. Um, I will, I will come clean on this, Mike. I don't know whether you, whether you knew about this or not. Uh, but it was my freshman year in college. Uh, I had registered in my hometown. Um, yeah, through our government class, and then when I, I went away to school, I was constantly badgered uh, by uh, young Republicans to register in Cuyahoga County. Uh, to which I finally relented, and I just sort of assumed that that somehow, somewhat, the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections would contact the Mahoning County Board of Elections and let them know. Uh, and I was surprised when I, I then I got a uh, uh, you know notification saying you request an absentee ballot for Mahoning County. Um, so I could have voted twice in that election and I could have gotten away with it. Um, but I didn't, uh, because I'm a good guy and, uh, George Bush was, was, uh, going to be fine anyway. Um, but, uh, so I mean, that's, that's one story about how these, these things happen. And, and if people run scrupulous, they, they could take advantage of that. But they don't. Uh, the sec, so, but go ahead.
0: I'm saying, but they don't for, for, for the, I mean, in almost no case do they. And again, I am in favor of a system that checks for that sort of thing. I am okay. in favor of a system that makes sense and does everything possible to make sure that people aren't accidentally, accidentally disenfranchised. And so you and I probably agree on that. I mean, and I think I know that you are a well-intentioned, person. I think this is part of the problem. Part of the reason why you are so resistant to the idea that many Republicans are doing this to make sure that fewer Democrats vote is because that's that's something you would never do. You would find that repugnant, and if more Republicans were right, like right, you, exactly. it would be that's, a better that's place. the Democrats
1: wouldn't. <laughs> not enough. Not
0: enough Republicans are like you, unfortunately. So, um, so anyway, your second story.
1: Well, my second story was uh, this: is in the two thousand four presidential election, uh, uh, I started receiving at our house all sorts of uh, literature from uh, progressive causes. Uh, and candidates uh, who I'm usually not on the mailing list. Uh, and then we also noticed that they were addressed to people who didn't actually live in our house but had the same last name as as, as we did. Uh, we came to learn after checking with the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections that there were four additional people who had been registered to vote in our house uh, by, by, by a, an outfit called moveon.org. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Uh, but they were, they were apps, uh, they were active in, um, uh, voter registration back in those days. And it turned out there were a bunch of people who just had different first names, but the same last name, same address. Uh, the reason for this was the way these folks were paid The who, to go out and get registered voters, they were paid by the name. So they would look up in a phone book or on the internet and find an address with a, a valid voter and just add, uh, numerous family members, turn it in and get their whatever, a dollar, $2 per name. Um, there was also a program in Toledo where where uh, voter registration activists were uh, given the option of being paid in crack or uh, cash uh, for for names, and and some chose the crack, and then there were some prosecutions resulting from that. But but my point is, again, I actually went to the the polls, and I could see when I signed in these lists of other people uh, with my same last name at my same address uh, who uh, who were not real people. Now. In this case, I don't think there was an attempt to to create voter fraud in the terms of actually someone showing up and voting. It was more just, uh, you know, someone essentially defrauding MoveOn.org, which I I got to take a little bit of pleasure from. Um, but uh, it, it would have been very easy, absent somehow some voter ID law, which Ohio Ohio has, of someone walking in and saying, "Hi, I'm Bill Carson. I live at this address. Can I vote?" Uh, they would they would say, "Sure." So that's th- those are the reasons. Um, why I want to point again to that, look, this is just, just me. And and I've had these sort of two experiences. Uh, it's, it's out there. And I think there are reasonable steps we can take to safeguard the integrity of our system without disenfranchising anyone.
0: I I don't disagree, but I'm sure you don't disagree that, um, uh, people tend to, uh, overestimate the severity of problems when they've been, uh, exposed to them personally. I mean, it's a common, it's a common thing. And, and, and certainly, you know, that anecdotes aren't evidence and I'm, so, I'm a
1: victim, Mike. Yes, exactly. Victimized.
0: and Exactly. And, and victims tend to overestimate, you know, if someone has been a victim of crime, thinks that crime is more prevalent and so forth, not to say that you would ever be, you know, victim of any sort of cognitive biases or anything like that. But, but anyway, um, Okay, let's move on. Uh it's time for what we're reading where we step back from the crazy pace of the news cycle and talk about the more in-depth thoughtful things we're reading, listening to, or watching. Uh Jade, do you want to start this week or you want me to? Um what, well, you know, I'll
1: start. And this is actually um sort of funny cuz it's not it's not really a a big uh, piece. It's not even a uh political thing. Uh, but it's something I thought you'd like. Uh, and again, this is from the uh, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, sort of a not really an op-ed commentary written by my favorite playwright uh, David Mamet, um, uh, and the title is uh, Charles Dickens makes me want to throw up, uh, and I thought you would enjoy that, and and in this this commentary he extols the virtues of uh, Anthony Trollope and uh, his his uh, uh, obvious superiority uh, to Dickens, uh, and I just thought you would really get a kick out of that, and. Uh, I mean, every now and again, I, I I throw these sort of things out just because, um, you know, part of the the conservative mindset, at least my you know, view of it is there's so much out there in the world beyond politics, uh, and and I think it's sort of part of the conservative cause is to get people looking and reading and doing stuff that that isn't uh, uh, overtly political. And uh, I I love this kind of stuff, uh, literary criticism. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big David Mamet fan. Um, and, uh, if, if you're familiar with his work and sort of, you know, compared to Dickens's work, you can see where, where he would be, uh, not a fan. Um uh, Mamet is also one of the, the few conservatives in Hollywood. Um, and I, I, uh, I always give him credit for that. So, um, that's, that's my just little fun, completely non-political. It's not really a big picture thing, but I thought you'd like it because it trashes Dickens and, uh uh, praises Trollope.
0: Yeah. You know, I feel about Trollope. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I have a picture of him right here on my desk. I am a a huge Trollope fan. So I, I'm definitely going to go and read that right after we are done. I think even before I do post-production on the show. Um, so here's mine for this week. It's a, it's another podcast and it's called my history can beat up your politics, which I think is a a great title. And and basically it's uh, by a guy who's been doing this for a long time, Bruce Carlson, who's, whole point is to try to give people that historical context. And uh, I reached out to Bruce and asked him if he'd come on the show for uh, a few minutes and talk a little bit about uh, about his podcast, what he does and, and so forth. And uh, so I'll just play that for you, for you right now. Hi, Bruce. So I was hoping you could we could start by you just telling listeners a little bit about My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, what it's, uh, what it's about, what you try to do with the show, that sort of thing.
2: Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, My History Can Beat Up Your Politics is a podcast that looks at history and applies it to the events and the politics of today and so often there's there's only a little bit if any of historical context at all in political discussions today so we take layers and layers of history uh, sometimes going back to the founding of the republic or before uh, and apply it to uh, political events so whether you know we're talking about uh, something like health care and putting that into a historical context of, you know, there was a time when healthcare wasn't necessarily a good thing. It might actually kill you. So it wasn't something that was always uh, something that was seen as a universal good or governments were out to fund. You know, Ben Franklin used to say, you know, in the street he would see – Many old drunks, but few old doctors. And that was the kind of skeptical view that many Americans had towards health care. So when you see things in that context, it starts to, you start to understand about today's debates in a better way, like, well, how come we don't have universal health care as a universal right? Well, it might not have been something thought about in the 18th century to add to the list of rights at that time, at least. Uh, So that kind of context is important. We looked at the emoluments issue recently and went all the way back to George Washington because many folks, President Trump's activities are a mirror to George Washington's and his G. Washington flower that went uh, to various countries and, uh, and, 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 and all around the United States, and he had a thriving business throughout his entire presidency. So looking at things like that help inform the debates of today. We're not going to push one side or the other in most cases. Uh, There might be some general concepts I feel strongly about, like voter turnout or or things like that, or free speech. Not controversial, but uh, we are going to try to provide more context to elevate the discussion.
0: Right, yeah, and I I couldn't agree more about the lack of context in, in so much of the media, I think, and how having that context can give us so much of a better sense of what's really going on and why it's going on, which is why I think your podcast is, is so valuable. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a long time, I'm a listener. And just recently I heard your episode on uh, who was it who talked about the history of the president's daily brief. And that was just, wow, that was a fascinating story. really.
2: Oh, David Priest, yes. He's a national security expert and he's uh also a bit of a presidential historian, particularly on that side of things. National security's so important to understanding a presidency. And yeah, that uh he was also a uh listener of the program. Yeah, I just uh, you know, somewhere around uh two 2000- thousand six, when this uh, podcasting technology was developed, it was a lot harder to do then, by the way, it was a little, <laughs> a, little uh, a lot of steps to go through. We were using phone lines at that time. I started, um, you know, I've always been an avid reader of history books, sometimes older ones and obscure ones, uh, <laughs> and uh, just starting to put together my knowledge because I just found it so common in in talking and having conversations with my friends and I'd be like, "Well, are you aware that this is actually not a new thing at all?" And uh, you know, "Oh, we're, we're facing a presidential midterm. Looks like the president's of, of of this party is going to to lose seats because a president um, usually loses seats in their party in the first year midterm. You know, this this has happened all the way since um all the way since uh, well, not really Washington, but that was his second year midterm. But second term, midterm, I should say. But this is a very common thing, and you start to find that you're saying it a lot. And then I said, you know, I could, I could start talking about this on a cast, and and the audience grew uh, over time, and we've got a happy to have a number of listeners, many of whom are professors, history teachers, and the like. Uh, I myself was a literature major, and I originally wanted to do a. History of literature. I still do want to do it at some point. <laughs>
0: well, you know, and that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of podcasts I listen to, I mean, I'm a, I'm a political scientist, and so many of them are just telling me things that I already know. And that's another thing I love about your podcast is invariably I learn things that I didn't know and they really helped to inform my understanding of this, which is which is why I think what you're doing is so valuable and, and I certainly hope you'll be able to continue doing it for a long time to come.
2: Oh well thank you very much Michael much much appreciated.
0: All right. Well I think that just about does it for this week, Jay. Yep. All right. So folks, uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We do hope you like what you heard and that you will check out today's sponsors, Dollar Shave Club, where new members get their first month of the executive razor with the tube of their Dr. Carver shave butter for only $5 with free shipping by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG and ZipRecruiter where Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Politics Guy. We also hope you'll consider joining our new Politics Guys Insiders program where supporting the show financially comes with exclusive extras like special updates, more commentary, additional episodes, and lots more. You can check it out on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicsguys, or at politicsguys.com, where you can also check out our free newsletter that goes out once a week to. Everyone. Uh, and if you want to support the show without spending anything and you don't want anything else in your email inbox, you can share this episode with your friends and followers or pass it along. Our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Pass those along, that would be great. And of course, leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes is also a big help. And if you want to get in touch with us, we're at mail at politicsguys.com. You can also reach us at Facebook.com slash politicsguys page where we post all kinds of stuff every week. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of The Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. The show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.